BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. The following is a presentation of the Speed Sport Podcast Network. Mike Wallace doesn't have all that much driving experience. For the last three or four years, he's put in his views in this business. Mike Wallace comes down to the line. He'll pick up the win. It's fast car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. The battles for the lead. Mike Wallace gets by Jason Leffler. Mike Wallace comes off turn number four. A great move in that corner. He comes to the line and will win. From grassroots to the top of the racing world. Hear the stories of NASCAR's biggest names and how they made it all the way. Who was Tony Stewart before he was Tony Stewart? I could barely make enough money to pay attention, let alone to try to survive. From the Speed Sport Podcast Studios, powered by My Race Pass, here are your hosts, Mike Wallace and Jeff Kent. Welcome to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace, part of the Speed Sport Podcast Network, powered by My Race Pass. My name is Jeff Kent. Strap yourselves in, pull those belts tight. We'll take you on a journey from short tracks across America to super speedways and everything in between. We're brought to you today by Mark Fick and Ford Lincoln on South Boulevard. The team at Mark Fick and Ford Lincoln works hard every day to be a community partner in supporting their customers, local businesses, as well as being involved in local charities and programs. Visit FordLincolnCharlotte.com today for your next vehicle selection service appointment or collision need today's guest mike currently the vp of competition at richard childress racing he's a former nascar crew chief driver team owner broadcaster he cut his teeth at local short tracks most notably hickory motor speedway by age 28 he was already a winston cup series crew chief best known as the crew chief for dale earnhardt in the title-winning years of 1993 and 1994. After a long career as a crew chief, he became a car owner, fielded 322 Cup Series entries from 1996 to 2003, winning twice, taking six poles, scoring 16 top fives, and 54 top tens. He was a color commentator for ESPN and ABC's NASCAR coverage, so that makes him a broadcast professional. He was also a rules analyst for Fox NASCAR. Welcome to the podcast, Andy Petrie. Andy, say hi to Mike Wallace. Hello, guys. Well, Good to be on with you. Well, it's it's wonderful to have you on, man. You you've got a credential career established. Just that's a nice resume, right? The read through. Yeah, you. We're done. Okay. <laughs> Can't now, ask for anything better than that. Now you got to tell us why you did all those things. Yeah. yeah. Andy, so the, the nice part about our show, Andy, is we, we have a huge, huge audience. Jeff, how big's the audience? The whole world is listening, Mike. The uh, whole world. Yes. So, so, Andy, no pressure, but the whole world listens to this show. And uh, we found out the fans of the show love to hear the story of, of how you become who you are. We say, who were you before who you are? And uh, they know you as the popular Andy Petrie on, on television, car owner, crew chief, things like that. But if you don't mind taking us back in time, uh, as far back as you can remember, how and what got you interested even in motorsports? Wow. Because that's what the show is based around. <laughs> we're going to go way back. Oh, it, yeah. It is. It's way back in time. But the, yeah. the greatest part about the way back in time, it's it's through you. You tell us about it. So uh, yeah. How about taking us back there? I've been so blessed in my career, in my life, really. Um, You know, I I, I grew up uh, about five miles from Hickory Speedway. You could actually, you know, hear the cars running. 
you know, from my, my house when they were over there racing. But, um, I didn't really know about anything with, with racing until my uncle actually took me to a race. And I think it was in 1969. I was 11 years old. Um, we went over there for a Sunday afternoon race. And, um, I remember, you know, getting out of the, of the car in the parking lot. And I've told the story before, but I, as soon as I got out of the car, you could hear the car practicing on the track. And I'm like, oh, my God, what is that? And if you've been to Hickory, and I know you have, Mike, there's a ramp that comes right up from, you know, on the front straightaway there from the parking lot mm-hmm. where you go in the track. And I remember just running up that ramp to see what was going on. And I'm telling you, I can remember it like it was yesterday. I was hooked from that minute right then. I knew right then that was it for me. That My whole life was going to revolve around this. And, um, you know, like I said, I was only 11 years old. I, I end up, you know, convincing my mother to just drop me off up there, like dropping you off at a movie theater or something, picking you back up. And uh, you got in if you were 12 and under, you got in free, right, with a family. So I'd just find a family to walk in with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously. I would. I'd adopt just walk a kid. Right in there. <laughs> yeah. Or adopt and a I'd family. Up there and find a seat. And I remember sitting up in a, a section of Tommy Houston fans. He was a legend up there at the time and, um, and watching him and, Ned Setzer and uh, a lot of those guys kind of duking it out. I think Harry Gant was actually racing then too at Hickory. Um, but I was just so, so hooked on it, you know. I mean, my, my grandfather owned the Chevrolet dealership in Newton at the time, News and Cross Chevrolet. So that's the, the, the reason I was there is because my uncle drove the 69 pace car. You remember the 69 Camaro that had the, the stripes on it? Oh, Each yeah. dealer got one of those. And so – you know, my uncle was driving us up, me and my cousin, up there in that car, in that convertible. So they used it for a pace car. So what do you think is that young 11-year-old? Because uh, there's a lot of conversation today in today's race world of how you attract young people to watch racing. What do you think when you were 11, what do you think was the, the trigger point that you went, oh, simple, this is what I'm going to do from now on? You know, it's hard to explain. Like, you know, you, you've got the same passion I do. Yeah. And I'm sure it kind of bit you the same similar way, but and I, it's hard to really, you know, put a put a finger on what exactly is it that that made me so passionate about it. I don't know. It's, it's you know the the sound and the, I can still smell the cars back then. That's and just what I'm saying. I think it's a combination of things. It's the it sound. Is. It's the smell of fuel and rubber, and then when you get a look at those cars with their bright, you know, paint schemes and whatnot, you look at it and go, God, that is so cool. And they're hauling the mail. This is an old right. three-eighths mile track, and they're flying around there. I'm like, good Lord, this is so neat. That's you why know? they call it racing. I would find a place in the grandstands where they were going the fastest, like right going in the corner, so you could get that sensation of speed. And, you know, then then all of a sudden you start pulling for different guys, and, you know, they're they're like, you know, heroes and icons. You know, like Tommy Houston was, was one of those for me. And, and John Settlemeyer, who was a five-time track champion at Hickory Speedway, he worked for my grandfather in the service department as a mechanic and raced up at Hickory on the, you know, on the weekends. Um, so I kind of, you know, kind of got attached to him. And um, as we, as I started growing up more and getting into it, I was hanging out over his shop and trying to just, I mean, asking a million questions. I mean, they got so tired of seeing me come around. <laughs> Every time I would see something, I didn't know. What is this? What does this do? What, how does that work? Why do you do this? You know. <laughs> hey, Andy, you're talking about John working at the car dealership and mm-hmm. uh, as a mechanic or whatever his position was there. But if you don't mind, t- tell people that not everybody is a professional race car driver. Not everybody yeah. gets paid to drive race cars. All this Saturday night, Friday night stuff is guys work regular jobs during the week. Oh, yeah, know. they work a week to make enough money to go and race on the weekend and then do it all again the next week. I mean, mm-hmm. this is a passion that people – like, I remember me too, Mike. I I, I just – I would work all week at doing whatever job, just to have enough money to go to a race, go, go, you know, and be able to, to – I would work for free for anybody that would let me help them. And I would work all week just to pay my way uh, at another job. So that's how much we loved it back then. Uh, I can remember the first – paid full-time position that i got in racing i could i thought i'd hit the lottery i'm really? like, good lord i'm getting paid to do what i love to do <laughs> and then you know again get the paycheck for it it was just you know it was crazy it's um that's why i think i'm so blessed because i've been able to do you know something i love 
dearly and do it my whole life, basically. So Youngsters these days don't understand that, do they, Mike? Well, well, you did the same thing. I've heard you talk about that before. Yeah, and that's why I just asked Andy to explain it, because there's a lot of talk today. I mean, really, and I'm sure Andy hears it in his position, and, you know, we're all – everybody's dealing with corporate sponsor dollars, corporate interest. How do you get people interested in the sport? And it's like the young kids just don't seem to have the real – Attraction well, I wouldn't cars. say that's a big bucket, Mike. I think there's still a lot of young people, yeah. uh, kids out there that do have this passion. I mean, we I see them still uh, today. You know, we got Jesse Love going to be driving our Xfinity car. Young fellow that got the got bit the same way I did. Really? Okay. So they're out there. It's just you know I don't know that it's um as many. You know, the 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 younger you know generation don't seem to be as car cent you know centered like we were. Um, but they're out there. There's a lot yeah. of motorsports passionate young people out there so we do know that i know because i've known you for a long time like everything you've done you were very have been very successful at but i need to go back to that adopt a family as you walk in the racetrack deal did you get them to buy you a coke or a hot dog <laughs> as part i of think that? my mama gave me enough money to go buy a coke and a hot dog i can't remember all that okay. it didn't matter man i didn't even care i just wanted to be there man. they couldn't and after that, they, they, there couldn't be a car crank up over there that I could – I had to be there. They couldn't run a lap around that track without me being there. That's outstanding. I would, I would run up there, you know, to get just to see them run. So what age do you think it was that uh, after you experimented or experienced everything in the grandstands that you got your first opportunity to hang out in somebody's shop, wipe the window of a car, push a broom, and actually end up yeah. at the racetrack with them? So that kind of happened um, – as I, you know, I'm always trying to scheme a way to be able to, I wanted to drive. You know, everybody sees this thing the first time you want to be a driver, right? I mean, that's, that's what everybody dreams about. I was a kid that thought, man, I just want to drive one of those cars. And, and so I figured out a way along, you know, to scheme to get people to, because I didn't, like I said, we didn't have money. We weren't, we weren't wealthy. And it cost, even back then, it cost a lot of money to race. And I got a guy named Jimmy Newsom who owned a tire, his dad owned a tire store. And then he ended up owning it right quick. But uh, Newsom Tire and Newton, and I got him kind of convinced to go together and build a car, right? And what what we were going to do is is build this car. The deal was we'll build a car to go up there and run the limited sportsman division at Hickory. I was 16 or 17 at the time. And um, we would basically audition for the job of driving it. Whoever could drive it the best, you know, would get would get the job of driving. Uh, I, mean, I knew all along it was going to be me, right? I didn't, it wasn't no doubt I'd be able to drive him, right? <laughs> You got all the talent. What the heck? <laughs> oh yeah. Oh man. By this time, you know I'm the best driver that's ever lived. You know I'm, I know I'm good. I had never sat in one, but I just know I'm good. <laughs> so we go through this process of building uh, a car, and it was like a college education for for my career. Right. I went through this basically a year, better part of a year. We built this thing and built it from a '64 Chevelle frame, and we got us a Nova. Bob. I'm sitting here looking at a picture of it on my wall in my office. I really? still got it here. That's cool. Yep. Um, and I've got it here. The, it, the picture that I'm looking at was the day after we ran it in the first race, but I'll get, I'll get to that. We, so we get this car to a point, um, and we borrowed money, begged, borrowed everybody, you know, trying to get people to help us. Our dads are giving us what they can. And we even did, took a loan out for a couple thousand dollars at the local bank. And so we get this car almost to a completed stage, but we don't have an engine yet. And just like every racing operation, you know, we underestimated the budget or what it's going to cost to do this. We don't have enough money to even buy an engine, you know, build one or whatever. And about that time, Bill Jarrett walks in there. Now he was he went to the same high school I did. It actually a classmate of Jimmy Newsom. They went they were in they were about the same age and they they were a couple years older than me. But uh, Ned Jarrett walked in with Dale. It was one night we worked every night on this car in this in the tire store, and um, they talked made small talk for a while and basically got down to it. Dale wanted to drive that car. And they were trying to figure out a way, you know, that we would allow Dale to drive this time. I'm like, heck no, man. I'm, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm thinking this ain't, ain't working. Look, we ain't looking for a driver. You didn't tell them you didn't have an engine, though, yet. <laughs> no, no, they knew that. They knew we did. They, so they, they'd gotten involved enough to know we didn't have one yet. So Ned proposes that, you know, they'll provide the engine for this car if we'll let Dale drive it. They'll pay for it or whatever. We hadn't decided where we are going to get it yet, but they said they would, they would, you know, finance that part of it. And I was still dead against it. I mean, I no, I'm not doing that. Oh, you got to take that deal, though, man. Come no, on. He, he's a I driver, drive, man. man. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> That's what I tell you. So they leave, and me and Jimmy have this 
talk about it, right? And Jimmy says, "No, nah, we got to do this deal. We got to do this deal." You know, and we're 50-50 partners and you know, at the end of the day, I did want to see the car race. So if we're going to if we're going to get it on the track, we're going to have to do this deal. So we I reluctantly agreed to do that. And um you know, the rest is this kind of history, right? It sets my career path more of a of a crew chief um and obviously Dale's uh, career as a, as a driver and he you know we both did pretty well i think so um i don't have any regrets about it but you know at the time it was a I bummer was like, at the time wasn't it, it was. <laughs> so, oh this is the best part this is the best part so we run the first race at hickory and dale starts in the back because we didn't get there in time to qualify very first race that he drives all the way to ninth place so he he's already proven that he's good at it but i wanted to just take that car around the crack one you know a lap and so the next day, me and Jimmy take that car up on Sunday. Back then, you could just drive in the track, you know. So we take it up there on Sunday, and um, we flip a coin who goes first. Jimmy goes out there and drives it first. Just wanted to drive it, you know, see how. So he looks he looks like my grandmother's out there. Driving. <laughs> <laughs> He's not going anywhere, right? I'm, I'm dying laughing. He comes in. I said, get out of that thing. I'm going to show you something here. My cousin was there. You know, Blair Newsom, he was there. And so... <laughs> I get in this car and I go out there and proceed to, to lower the track record in the limited sportsman division. Damn. Okay. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> I drive down pit road and I'm like, put, you know, I got my arm out. I'm like, that by God, that showed him. <laughs> I get in there. My cousin is dying laughing. And I'm like, what? He says, you look just like Jimmy. <laughs> oh, you thought you were so fast. <laughs> oh yeah. In my mind, I had just lowered the track record and they're sitting there dying laughing. <laughs> <laughs> so that's when i realized that it's a lot different actually sitting in one of those things and watching them go around it's a, yeah it's a lot harder to do yeah yeah, yeah. i was actually yeah, thinking you, he really did lower the right? track record the first time you get in there you think you're flying and then yeah. they tell you how fast you went and they go right. damn i can do that i want to do that again let me do that again <laughs> <laughs> All right, it's a good uh, time for a break right here. We're talking to Andy Petrie, and you're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network, powered by My Race Pass and NASCAR Digital Media. Hi, it's Mike Wallace. You need to get behind the wheel of a vehicle that's built tough with Mark Ficken Ford Lincoln. Right now, you can get $500 off any new or used vehicle that we have in stock. That's right, $500 off any vehicle that is currently in stock. To take advantage of this deal, simply visit FordLincolnCharlotte.com slash Wallace. Don't miss out on this opportunity to save big on our entire inventory. Get $500 off of new and used cars, trucks, and SUVs at Mark Ficken Ford Lincoln on South Boulevard now. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome back to the Speed Sport Podcast Studios. This is Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. We're brought to you today by Mark Fick and Ford Lincoln on South Boulevard. The team at Mark Fick and Ford Lincoln works hard every day to be a community partner in supporting their customers, local businesses, as well as being involved in local charities and programs. Visit FordLincolnCharlotte.com today for your next vehicle selection, service appointment, or collision need. We're in the Wayback Machine with Andy Petrie. Once again, here's Mike Wallace. Well, Andy, after that hot lap at Hickory Motor Speedway where you didn't set the new all-time track record. <laughs> but thought you did. And driving wasn't quite as easy as you thought it was. It kind of set more of the tone of where your, your career he headed from that point. So with that in mind, and maybe it was uh, not being a driver at that point was a little easier. What did you guys do at that point? Did you uh, continue to race that car for a while or how long? Did yes, that we ran you? that car for two seasons. Um at Hickory Speedway and at uh, Asheville Speedway. On Friday night, we ran up there, and then Saturday night at Hickory. Uh, we did that for two years. That that first car we ran, you know, that whole season, um, and I got to give props to Tiger Thompson Stone. He, is, um, he, he had a parts business, still does, I think, right there in Charlotte. And uh, just, you know, the fact that we, you know, were related and, you know, tied to Ned Jarrett, he, he basically let us run a tab all year, right? Yeah. Never didn't pay for Yeah. And we couldn't, at the end of the season, we couldn't, we didn't, you know, we just couldn't pay it. So we sold, <laughs> we sold the car 
for just enough money to pay that pay that tab down at Tiger. <laughs> Right. And and without Tiger, we couldn't have raced that year. So I have to give him props for that. He had enough faith in us that he'd get paid back, get paid for that. But um, but we did that. Then so the next year we we were able to put another car together. We ran another season in limited sportsman, and then you know Dale kind of moved on from that. What were uh, you doing, Andy, for a, a living at that point? Why did you? Well, pay so I went to National Auto Diesel College uh, a little bit in in that time frame. Um, and, and didn't and went through all the automotive phases and everything. I didn't. I realized pretty quick I didn't want to be a diesel mechanic. Um, <laughs> Hands get and I dirty. To race. <laughs> yes, I don't know. <laughs> so I I come back and I I work uh, basically I work for Jimmy in the tire store at the in the beginning of that, and then a, a doctor in town opened up a service station, and um, basically I ran it for him. And, and a little known fact, Dale Jarrett worked for me there pumping gas while I worked on cars in the in the uh, in the garage bay really that, that's a yep. unique story and yep. that is pretty cool so then we both actually at one point worked at dixie boat works i can't you know all these jobs kind of run together but then i sold batteries for a while um but uh, go back to that that service station gig lasted for you know maybe a year not even that long and he got an offer from the county to sell it the owner uh did the property to build a community uh, a rec- recreation center there so we basically closed it down. I'm looking for a job. Now, this is the, this is where it's really a key point in my career. I, my wife at the time was pregnant with my first son, and, um, you know, I'm out here I lose my job. I'm, I just bought a house. All these things are happening to me, and I, but I wanted to work in racing. And so I, I, I told Ned Jarrett, I said, man, you got to please try to help me get a job, you know, in, in the Cup Series, you know, with somebody because he had so many connections. One one thing led to another, and now finally he, I get a call from from Ned to tell me to go down and meet Junior Johnson down there in in Rhonda, North Carolina, and that uh, he was going to talk to me about being a tire changer for Daryl Walter. That was 1981, and uh, so I go down there, and they'd had some problems on the pit crew, and he was going to replace the rear tire changer, and Ned apparently really oversold this. <laughs> <laughs> nah. And I, I'm telling you, this is no no kidding. Really this, oversold it. This, this is how I'm telling you, this is how it went. I've never. Now we're running limited sportsman, right? We don't we don't change tires. We want to make pit stops. But he convinced Junior I was this great tire changer, right? <laughs> and so he hires me on the spot to go. And back then they didn't practice. You didn't have practice sessions where they you know have pit practice in the back and they see how good you do or any of that stuff. I got in the hauler with Henry Benfield and went to on a west coast swing from you know, texas at college station riverside well um, let me interrupt anybody that knows yep. henry benfield that had to be a great trip by itself <laughs> <laughs> it was that's a whole podcast in itself yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway so we get and i'm so nervous and he's because i've got to change tires and for they're leading the points at this point this is like in june of 81 um so we get to college station qualified like somewhere in top 10 First front of the race, I don't have a radio on there. You know, Tim Brewer's crew chief, front tire changer, he's telling me everything we need to do. And so all of a sudden, just in that first run, here he comes down pit road under green. I'm like, oh, God. So I'm getting ready to go out there and change, you know, change tires because I think he's got a flat. And as he comes by me, I can see water running out the tailpipe. And I'm like, oh, thank God we don't have to change tires. <laughs> Motor was blown up right around. <laughs> So now the pressure's wow, off. Got the next, that one out of the way. <laughs> yeah. So now the pressure's off. We're gonna go then jump in the hauler, and we go to college uh, from College Station, Texas, out to Riverside, and um, and so we get out there, and I mean, I'm telling in my mind, I've changed a thousand tires. Like, how's this gonna work? So my first time, and I try to tell these these new pit pit guys out here, is they don't even know pressure, right? Here I am with a, a my Vice pregnant with my first son. I'm, this is the only gig I've got. I've got to make it work. We come in. The, the, we qualify on the pole, leading the race. Caution comes out, and Junior Johnson's jacking, and he holds up four fingers. And I'm like, okay, here we go. Four-tire change. First time I ever changed a tire in my life. We were leading the race <laughs> at Riverside. And the, the rest of the story is, and I don't think all the stops went that smooth, but at the end of the day, we did win that race. And – and so it kind of it kind of worked out, right? So you so, did good, is what you're saying. 
Yeah, well, good enough. Good I didn't enough. get fired. Yeah, apparently, yeah. Got to go to the next race. Faked your way through it real good. I think Daryl made up for a lot of it. but You know, it's funny. He mentions Junior Johnson. I remember seeing what I call old pictures of Junior as the jack man. Mm-hmm. And he'd do that. But he didn't he swing the jack? He didn't carry yeah. it. He, he grabbed yeah. it by the handle, and he, yeah. he'd swing that thing around the front of the car or the back of the car. And yeah. Man, if you weren't clear, he'd take you out of dangles, no you know? Yeah, that so. was pretty awesome. Yeah, but that was a huge break for me, and and so I changed tires for them, you know, for that team for that year and won the championship, and um, got to go to New York. That was the first year that they went to New York for the championship banquet. So your first year in right. working in racing, you're a tire <laughs> yeah. changer and never had changed a tire in your life, <laughs> ever. And you won the championship and, and got to go champion. to New York. Yeah, that's amazing. It was amazing. I'm telling you, I've been so blessed. Now I know why you're a success from there on, man. <laughs> well, it was just it was dumb luck, really. I mean, if you think about it. And Ned Jarrett going just way out there telling Junior how good I was as a tire changer, not knowing. Yeah, well, you know. hey, you got to baffle him with BS now and then to get that door open, right? <laughs> he did it for me. Yeah. yeah that's so, great. So after that uh, that awards banquet that, that year, th- then what goes on? Yeah, so – uh, one thing about the awards uh, weekend is we we had a team dinner in the top of the World Trade Center, so that was kind of special. Before you know, it was back in uh, what eighty eighty one, so. eighty one or eighty two there, yeah. Yeah, so I got to see that. Uh, it's no longer there, but I did get to see that building. Um, but then after that, um, you know, they kind of went a different direction. They they gave the guy that that I replaced on the pit crew a, a second chance for the next year, and because he he was one of the guys in the shop, and so I went for like as a backup to one of the races, and I'm. Up to, to Daytona, the first race, and um, just happened to be there. And Johnny Hayes walks up to me and wanted to know if I would change tires for Phil Parsons in the Xfinity race. And um, I said, "Sure, I'll do it." So I now jumped Johnny on Hayes deal. was the guy in charge of U.S. Tobacco racing or something, right? He, he was. He was the the main guy at U.S. Tobacco at the time. And uh, Phil Parsons was sponsored by Skull. And um, so I did that, and that's kind of started a relationship with Johnny and, and, and Phil and, and the whole, the whole skull, you know, environment there. I mean, they were doing Harry Gant with the cup car. Um, Phil was just, like I said, running Xfinity. I guess at the time they called it the Budweiser series and then it changed to the Bush series. But, um, so I was actually selling batteries for a living at this point. I had a battery truck and a route. Um, and then, then night I would go over to Harry Gant's shop in Taylorsville and help, you know, Phil and, and the guys that were working on the car for prep it for the next race. So so how do you sell a battery free. out of a truck? Tell me how that worked. Well, you just have different places. Like I'd go to, to service stations or different places like used car lots. Um, and you just basically have a route that you ran every week or, you know, and, and, and stop in and, you know, fill up their racks that they'd sold batteries and take in the used ones and then go to the warehouse and, re, you know, restock. Okay. Yeah, I mean it was a decent gig. It, it I don't wasn't getting rich doing it, but at least I was able to pay. Batteries the bills. sell themselves. You either need one or you don't. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it wasn't too hard. Yeah. <laughs> Have you went and bought a battery recently? Oh my gosh. Oh, I know. I've got to go buy two for my little helicopter mover. I'm dreading it. it ain't cheap. Not, cheap. <laughs> not at all. So, you, you're the battery salesman. That, then you go from where? To, what's the next step in racing? Yeah, so we do that deal for most of the, uh, the '82 season, and um, and had a great time. Man, we had a really group, good group of guys um, working on that thing. And at the end of that year, Benny Parsons had lost his ride with Rainier, and um, and Johnny was going to try to put a little deal together to just take and run a few races in in Cup with him. And he t- he said we're just going to take this group of Xfinity guys, and we're going to go run five cup races, four or five cup races at the end of the 82 season with Benny. So Travis Carter, who was running the team for Harry Gant and Skull sponsored, he prepped the car, the first one. Um, then we basically, he hauled it to Michigan for the first race. And that's where I met Leo Jackson. Uh, that's who Johnny had kind of tagged to be the crew chief and run that, that little program. And uh, we go up there to Michigan with me and Leo and uh, Scott Robinette, I think was one, and Gary Snipes. And, you know, just a handful of guys that had been doing that Xfinity thing. And, shoot, we finished fifth, I think, in the first race doing that. I think we finished the top five almost every one of them we ran that year with Benny. I mean, Benny was a heck of a driver. Hmm. So that then that kind of grew into another deal where we started running the Skull Copenhagen car for Benny and formed that team. That was kind of my first full-time job of you know racing was working for johnny hayes 
Benny Parsons started the 83 season was the first year that we, we ran that. So at that time, Johnny Hayes, was he the team owner or was he the... He kind of US... was, okay. yes, but it was kind of a, it really was a company owned team and Johnny was the front okay. of it and, and, and was considered the owner. Um, so, but then I think they wanted some separation from that. And so that's when they offered it to Leo Jackson and his brother, Richard to, you know, take, you, you guys take over the ownership side of this. We'll sponsor the car. And so that's when it became, you know, basically, you know, the Jackson brothers, I worked for Leo, um, and Benny, we ran, you know, 15 races a year. We didn't run the whole season. We ran the bigger races and, uh, we did that for a handful of years. So, so that went on and, uh, have success there or average or what do you think yeah we did pretty good you know we went in i don't remember 83 i believe it might have been the last race of the year in 83 we went to riverside um was our last one we ran and we we put a lot of effort in that car and if you remember how that race finished you've probably seen it somewhere on youtube it was it was daryl waltrip and tim richmond racing for the lead and right at the end of the race it started raining and so it looked like you're coming to the caution flag for rain and it looked like it probably end the race. So they end up crashing and Benny comes across and gets the lead. And we think, heck, I felt like we'd won and, um, ran a lap or so under caution. And then it stopped raining just long enough. They said, Hey, we're going back green again. And it went for one lap green and, and Bill Elliott passed Benny going into turn nine, coming to the deck caution again for rain and end up being the winner. That was and it. Huh? His, that was his first win. That was Bill Elliott's first win. Oh wow! So we almost won the first year, but we did, we did win the uh, race the next year. Benny said that that one was on him that he didn't drive in there hard enough and worried about the rain. He said, "I'm gonna make it up to you guys," and I'm telling you, he was on a mission. We didn't win Daytona, but the next one we ran was Atlanta, and he won that one and he took won. it away from Kill Yarborough and Dale Earnhardt. What were you doing on the team at that point, Andy? What was your position? I was a, I was a tire guy and a mechanic. Um, you know, Cliff Champion was kind of the, what you would call the car chief, uh, crew chief. And uh, Leo was the owner. You know, he was making a lot of the decisions and calls. Leo was. But, um, yeah, I was just one of the mechanics that was working on the car. Okay. So so from that point, you you guys – now, is that a full season ride at that point? You guys run the full well, season? Well, that was just – like I said, we're still running the, the half season, the big races. Okay. The, you know, not but you won a race, so you guys are a winner yep. there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. So we, you know, we go to Darlington the next week and actually sit on the pole or, or the, next, the next race. I think it might have been the next week for us, but um, – that's when he crashed on the first lap, him and Bill Elliott racing for the lead on the first lap, Benny hit the wall. Wow. Which wasn't hard to do at Darlington. Right. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but that, that went for a while. And so then when we get to, you know, the 87 season, going into the 87 season, you know, Tim Richmond had gotten sick and they needed a driver. So they hired Benny to go drive at Hendrick, drive the, uh, the 25. I think they even changed the number to 35. So we're going to run the whole season now with Phil Parsons. Uh, in 87 so in mid mid season of 87 leo named me the crew chief of the of the 55 car so that was my first you know shot at being a crew chief and uh, i'd say it was a handful of races maybe seven or eight races of the 87 season and then i was a crew chief then at the 88 season uh, when we actually won with phil at talladega so we won a race that year and i think we finished in the top seven in points seven or eight in points well, here, so we here you go with that a stellar career again. You're winning right out of the box. Yeah, well, it was. As a crew <laughs> chief right out of the gate. Let's take a break. And there's more to come. We're talking to Andy Petrie. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network, powered by My Race Pass and NASCAR Digital Media. Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace is teaming up with Mark Fick and Ford Lincoln on South Boulevard to save you money on your vehicle purchase. Right now, you can get $500 off any new or used vehicle in stock. Hey, Mike, there's a landing page online with all the info you need to take advantage of this offer. FordLincolnCharlotte.com slash Wallace. You can view inventory and more. You can even listen to any of the 80-plus episodes of Fast Car to NASCAR while there. 
Welcome back to the Speed Sport Podcast Studios. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. We're brought to you today by Mark Fick and Ford Lincoln on South Boulevard. The team at Mark Fick and Ford Lincoln works hard every day to be a community partner in supporting their customers, local businesses, as well as being involved in local charities and programs. Visit FordLincolnSharta.com today for your next vehicle selection, service appointment, or collision need. We're talking to Andy Petrie. Once again, here's Mike Wallace. Well, Andy, we've learned, and I said on the break, now I know why you think this racing stuff's easy. That's all you do is win early on. Yeah, well, you know, I get to choose what I'm talking about, right? So I talk about the good ones. <laughs> yeah, well, have to leave all the negative stuff out. So yeah. you're doing that deal with Phil, and uh, where, where do you go next? What's the next Okay, so that, that 88 season, uh, obviously it went good for us. Uh, but in the middle of that, Harry Gant was driving for Travis Carter and and how neat them, uh, and they were not having success at all. And Harry was looking at looking to go elsewhere. He, he had given basically his notice that he was not going to drive that team next year, you know, going into the 89 season. Well, somehow they were able to put a deal together. Leo Jackson said he would run Harry, you know, full-time and then let his brother run Phil. Uh, so Richard Jackson basically took Phil Parsons and the – Copenhagen sponsorship and ran uh, full season and then Leo formed this team and we moved it to Asheville up there and actually in Arden uh, just outside of Asheville where we built a little small team up there to start you know running Harry full-time and uh, you know we it was a really small effort it was behind Leo's manufacturing facility where he made he, he made a living doing machine work and stuff on a lot of racing things and performance parts, but uh, we, we kind of just built that little race team in the back of that building and started racing in 1989. Now, in 1989, and, and i got to ask this, that everybody hears it, knows, was was Harry Gant a, a good race car driver then? Had he won a lot of races? or? Okay, so in, in 1989, he was 49 years old. So as you can see, this, this is people thinking that maybe his career was winding down to not, you know, to retirement. Mm-hmm. Age, right, because they had had a, a couple seasons there uh, driving the 33 for, for for you know Burton Howell's Skull Bandit and Travis Carter, and so it, it had not gone well. But we felt like he, we could get more out of him, right? And so it was a re, rejuvenation, and we we did win a race. We won the fifth race out with him at Darlington, and uh, and had a pretty decent season in 1989. Uh, especially with the little group that we had put together. I, I, I felt great about it. I thought, man, we got a lot of potential here. So that kind of set him back back on fire. And, and um, you know, you know what kind of happened since then. We, we ran four years together, 89, 90, 91, 92 as, as his crew chief. And we won one, two, five, seven, nine races together. Yeah, those were the best years of his career, yeah. really. Right? Oh, yeah. That, that's what's crazy. I mean, you look at what he did in 1991. He was 51 years old, and he won five races that year. I mean, you, that'll never be broken. I don't Is that the year ever that he won everything in October, be become Mr. October? Yep. Yeah, it was right. actually September. September, okay. <laughs> yeah. Close. But, yeah, that was Reggie Jackson in October, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I, it was some big deal. Because did, didn't he end up getting tore up at Martinsville and still come back and won the race or yep, something? Yep, yep. So that, that was the fourth in a row. And so Rusty was obviously really good on short tracks. He ran second to Harry. And it was a restart. And I, they kind of got racing each other. And got and Rusty got into him. And, and boy, it made, it made Harry so mad. He was so mad about that. And we got in there and pulled all the stuff off the car and got it where we go around the racetrack. And he started in the back, and here he goes, and he passed every single car and ended up winning that race. It was crazy. Here, here's Andy Petrie's again. This is easy right. stuff going on. <laughs> You're still only <laughs> hearing the good stuff. I have, I have not heard a struggle yet. <laughs> Pass the field, win the race. Yeah. Now, did he pass everybody uh, on the outside? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he passed quite a few of them. Yeah. He, he was amazing, man. He was just in this groove that was. He just felt like he couldn't be beat, he, and he was winning Xfinity races at the same time. Yeah. And I mean, he just went for a month and didn't lose a race. Oh, he. I remember because I got the opportunity to drive Ed Whitaker's car. And mm-hmm. uh, Harry was driving Whitaker's car and made that car famous in the Bush series. Yeah. You know, he won all the time in it. Yeah, it was it was a good. Well, Harry time. was in 92- good shape. That probably had something to do with it, right? Don't you? Oh think yeah, so? he was excellent shape. Right? I think as, he's as a fifty-something year old man, he was you know yeah. he he was uh, he was built. H- him and Andy Petrie are built the same way. 
Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I mean, no, ever, I'm not built like Harry Gant. Or however Andy's built. You know, what, what do you always say about Harry? He was a, he's a, a roofer. He was a tough guy. Yeah, he was guy. a construction was a, guy. Yeah. You know, he would, he'd race on the weekends and he'd work, you know. He was a working class working man. T- working guy, mm-hmm. you know, so he was right. always tough and lean and Heck, the last time I seen Harry was not too many years ago. He still looked like he'd get in a race car to me. I know. It's <laughs> crazy. Yeah. So, so after as those years are going on, then then where do you go? Where I mean, you're having really very good success. You're the crew chief of this program at that time, correct? Yep. 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 And Leo kind of let me run the team like it was mine. I mean, he really gave me a lot of leeway and taught me so much. I mean, I can't even begin to talk about all the things that Leo, I learned from Leo Jackson. But um, there was an opportunity that popped up just kind of unexpected it was Kurt Shelmerdine retired as a crew chief for Earnhardt they were looking for somebody I was not looking for that job I was super happy with Leo he was like my father you know he basically kind of laid it out where I could own that team in you know not too long a time frame and uh, he was going to make it possible for me so I, I wasn't looking for that but when it popped up and I did I did go down and talk to Richard and Dale about it I realized man if I'm going to I realized the goal of winning a championship as a crew chief. This is, I cannot say no to this, you know? So it was a very difficult decision, but I decided to take it. Um, you know, Leo and I kind of, I wouldn't say had a fallen out, but it didn't go well. I was going to ask how the story with Leo went at that point. It didn't go well. <laughs> and, and, I, and it was emotional for me. And, but I knew I had to do it. And so I did it. And I told Leo, I said, I've got to go win. I got to do this for my career. And he understood but he was he was really disappointed. So we go and win, you know, the 93 was first year. We ended up winning five races in the championship that year. And then we backed it up in 94 with, you know, a handful of wins there and the championship again. Um, and I remember Leo came to me in the testing going into the 95 season. He says, well, have you got all this out of your system yet? Now, all, this, all this winning? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we still haven't heard any bad stuff yet, have we? <laughs> but he goes – so he offers me a chance to come back and buy his team and making it where I can afford it, right? He was going to finance it for me and they make it where I could take it over. And, uh, and that would have, that started the 96 season. So I had a whole year of this. I, I still raced in 95 here at RCR and, uh, we, we won five or six races that year too. And, um, I told Dale and Richard early on that this is the direction I was going, but we had a really good season after that even. I mean, it was, um, Great opportunity for me. So I left I left here after the 95 season and went up, you know, basically was a crew chief for, for Leo till we could get the deal done. And we closed on it in October of 96 is when I, I closed on the race team and, uh, and it became Andy Petrie Racing. So before we move on to completely to ownership in the next phase of your career, what was it like being a crew chief for Dale Earnhardt? You've got to have a story or two you want to share with <laughs> no, us. I got many of them, but I'll tell you, it was really <laughs> tough in the beginning. I almost did not make it through the first year because it was so difficult to come into a super established, like dynasty of people here and they're, you know, try to take over as their leader. Right. And they made it really hard on me. And, um, and Dale and I were button heads. We were too much alike, um, you know. And so Richard brought us in and, and set us down and said, look, man, you guys got to get on the same page here somehow. And he, he started making, forcing us to bond with each other, right? <laughs> <laughs> Dale, it, that's another whole podcast, too. <laughs> Bonding but, with yeah. Earnhardt. We've got two yeah. more shows already booked here. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a good year, so, 2024. Yeah, so, yeah, so after we finally started bonding, that's when we got, became successful, and, and then we started winning and everything worked out. But uh, it it was pretty amazing, really, to know that you had somebody that's, you know, that you're, it's in that car that's going to, no matter what, I mean, he's going to get the most and more out of it. Uh, and it's all, puts the pressure on you, you know. You've got a lot of pressure on a crew chief to be, you know, making the calls and decisions for a guy like him. Did he just disagree with some of the decisions you made? Is that, is that what? Nah, it was just more of, he, you know, he's so forceful about, you know, being, you know, he was like, Oh, I want to be, you know, caution comes out. I don't, I don't too tired for whatever it was. He would try to make the call. I said, look, man, I'm, I'm the one making calls. Not you. You get paid to drive it. He didn't like that. <laughs> oh, is that right? You know, no. And, and, and Richard was, that's a, why him and my brother way. got along so well. <laughs> 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 well, Rusty knew everything, right? especially yeah. when it came to chassis. And yeah. But finally, he started, you know, he started letting me run the team the way I wanted to. And and, and, and it all worked out. And it, the success came, and I think that helped reinforce it all, right? So, 
it was a uh, it was a really good relationship and became super good friends with with him and Teresa. We spent a lot a lot of time off time with them too. And uh, how did you bond with Dale Earnhardt? Just uh, one example. Okay, I mean, so okay, so the the so the first example was he says, "All right, Richard, me and him are going to bond. Everything's going to be fine. We leave the office." And he said, <laughs> looks at me and he says, "Me and you, you're coming to dinner with me and Teresa. And we're going to Darlington, and we're going to you know you're coming to dinner at this XXX, right?" I said, "All right." So I sit. I sit beside him. He's got some more friends of his at this dinner. And he said, yeah, me and Andy are bonding right here. We're bonding tonight. <laughs> <laughs> He's calling it out, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so it, during that, I used that as an opportunity to tell him how we were going to run the practice session at Darlington the next day. You know, we'd, we'd already qualified. That was on Friday. So Saturday morning was going to be a practice. And, and I was I had some kind of out-of-the-box thinking what I wanted to do. The tires were not reliable at all back then and i was i needed to run long runs till the tire failed to figure out where to put the set to, you know how to set the car up right and he's like what i said this it'll give plenty of warning it just it, you know right front will just go down and we'll see how far it'll go <laughs> he thought it was crazy <laughs> so we go 35 laps in practice or 30 laps i think it's been 30 the first run tire goes down he comes in yeah, god turn didn't hit the wall thank god so then we change the car again and i take some camber out of it and change some of the air pressure stuff and reset this, you know, the balance and go back out to run again, run it about five more laps in it, you know, say 35 or 40 laps and tire gives them out again. We do this like three runs and extend how far we can run before the tire fails by like heck, 10 or 15 laps. Hmm. And we're still pretty competitive. So we go out there and win that race. And uh, because of that, we could run so much longer uh, without the tire failing. And so I remember in victory lane, I was like, I reached in the window and I said, that's how you bond right there. <laughs> <laughs> So that's uh, what made it work. You know, the success came, and then that's when the confidence came, too, you know. That's beautiful. I, lo- I love that yeah. story right there. So you, you guys continued Bond, and, yeah. and everybody knew you were Bonding because he told everybody you were Bonding. <laughs> yeah. There's no hidden deal now. Pardon me, we're Bonding. We're Bonding. Give us a moment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, winning those races make you Bond. So, um, yeah. And that, that's in up through 95. Well, where, where do yep. you go from there? What goes on from that point? I mean, you're, so, it's got to be pretty hard to leave that program. You're winning championships. You're winning races. You're the man. He's the man. Yeah, and then you leave there, and you think, okay, I've got this. We're going to go down. I, Robert Presley's driving the, the Skull car at this time. Harry's retired. Um, but we're going to go out there and win races, in my mind, right? We're going to be able to get, to get things on the right track. Man, this is – you talk about how everything was easy. It wasn't easy in 96. Really? 96 was a very tough year. Yep, it was. And, uh, you know, Robert Presley and I had actually kind of been rivals driving some. I got to, we, which we didn't go into that much, but I drove some late model races uh, over the years, you know, just kind of part-time. And I raced against Robert some, and we butted heads a lot, right? We wrecked each other. I say wrecked each other. I, I'm the one that's on the receiving end of that most of the time. But. <laughs> So we, you know, we didn't get along that great. We are great friends to this today, but back then we weren't really on the same page. It was a difficult season. And so I, when I closed on the team in 1996, uh, in October, the first move I made was to replace the driver. And I, I put uh, Todd Bodine in it to finish the 96 season and then hired Kenny Schrader to drive uh, starting in 1997. That's basically my first full season as an owner. Okay, and so you got a hit, you got rid of Robert just because you didn't like Robert, or he wasn't producing. Well, at that we time weren't or? having any success. It wasn't working. It okay. just wasn't working, and that's not to say it's Robert's fault. I think Robert's a great driver. Right. Uh, Skull, but the the thing was to do the deal with Skull. They were, you know, they they were used to winning with Harry Gant. They were, you know, this this thing wasn't working for them if they weren't. At Need least to produce, right? Okay. Yeah, I promised them I'd get them a top ten driver if they'd sign with me, and uh, they trusted me. And I went out and hired Kenny Schrader from Rick Hendrick. Um, big hire right there. It was. It was a big hire for for me. And it, it was um, what made it all work. And Man, I'll tell you what. I probably had more fun racing with Kenny than any years of my career. You know, we, we never – we didn't win, but we did have a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun racing with each other. I mean, you know, racing together and, and became close friends. We're still close friends today. And uh, so. Do you guys drink a Budweiser or two? 
Well, I say Kenny did. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't much of a beer drinker then, but still not. But <laughs> he's good at that. Jimmy. Yeah, he's good. he is good at it. Yeah. <laughs> good spot for a timeout, Mike. We'll come back with the final segment. We're talking to Andy Petrie. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network, powered by My Race Pass and NASCAR Digital Media. Hi, it's Jeff Kent. You need to get behind the wheel of a vehicle that's built tough with Mark Ficken Ford Lincoln. Right now, you can get $500 off any new or used vehicle that we have in stock. That's right, $500 off any vehicle currently in stock. To take advantage of this deal, simply visit FordLincolnCharlotte.com slash Wallace. Don't miss out on this opportunity to save big on our entire inventory. Get $500 off new or used cars, trucks, and SUVs at Mark Ficken Ford Lincoln on South Boulevard now. Welcome back to the Speed Sport Podcast Studios. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. We're brought to you today by Mark Fick and Ford Lincoln on South Boulevard. The team at Mark Fick and Ford Lincoln works hard every day to be a community partner in supporting their customers, local businesses, as well as being involved with local charities and programs. Visit FordLincolnCharlotte.com today for your next vehicle selection, service appointment, or collision need. One more trip around the track. It's Andy Petrie once again. Here's Mike Wallace. Well, Andy, we, we talked in the break. All these really good shows end too quick. There's too much con dialogue to talk about, so we're going to have to kind of fast forward this last segment. And uh, so you hired Kenny Schrader. You guys didn't win anything, but you really ran well at that point. You had fun. Schrader's a professional beer drinker, we've established. <laughs> and uh, so where does it go from there? What, what's the next part of Andy <clears throat> Petrie's yeah. career? Yeah, the ownership thing went really well for a while till it didn't. Um, you know, we ended up growing up uh, to two teams with your brother Kenny at first uh, with the Square D 55 and, and you know, continued to have a lot of fun. And, and, and you know, we're still not winning, but we're having pretty decent success. Uh, I think we finished second with Kenny that year, one of those years, uh, at least once or twice. So having a lot of fun there. And then, you know, 9-11 hits, and that's when it got – challenging on a, you know, the economic front and i was not one of those owners that had a ton of back you know back stock where i could you know weather a storm like that gotcha and so it basically kind of took me out of the ownership uh and at the end of the 2002 season um or 2003 season i guess it was yeah you drove for me in 2003 a little bit so we were we were doing some um Xfinity stuff, trying to stay alive, and then basically hey, can I had to interrupt get, right there yeah. a second? Because yep. I, I know this would, would have been the air of in the time because you said I drove for you. So Jeff, Andy Petrie, and Andy, you stop me and correct me at any time that I'm saying something wrong here. Andy was the first in his group. They they changed motorsports, and what I mean at that time, the bump stops came along. Yeah. Running on the right front, running on the front of the car. I remember driving a car that Andy Petrie owned, or Phil Barkdraw owned, but Andy Petrie took care of it for him right. at Daytona. I go down there. I'm sitting in the car, and I don't know anything about what these guys got going on. I just kept, I hear they got this cool stuff. And all of a sudden, three guys get on the nose of the car and bury the nose into the ground. <laughs> and I was like, what the hell did they just do? And then I go out on the racetrack, and mm -hmm. I, I run, and the bottom of the car's hitting. And for some reason, I got out of the car, and I get back, and they're cranking all these rounds into the rear of the car. I'm thinking, this damn car, there's no way this car is going to – it's going to be so high. Yeah. Well, they had perfected what they called bump stops, you know, that the front of the car runs down on the bottom. They right. put chains on the rear, but real soft springs, and nobody else was doing that. Is that correct, Andy? I mean, this is – Yeah, we, we pioneered a lot of that. To lower uh, the wrote car? a lot of rules in the rule book about the, <laughs> these things. You didn't break them. <laughs> you just stretched kind of, them. They, 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 no, they, they, there they wasn't any rules. They revolutionized and changed the rule book, right? Yeah. Yep. We, uh, we went out there and got super creative um, and started doing a lot of things like that. And like I said, NASCAR finally did get a hold of it and make some rules and regulations around it. But uh, we were the ones that kind of pioneered that. I'm pretty proud of that. We had some smart people uh, working for us they, you know, at that time and, and um, did some pretty cool things, but it, it wound up being where we couldn't sustain life, you know, after that, you know, economic downturn, and I couldn't find sponsors to replace the ones I had, and so, you know, I had been very successful, and I decided not to, you know, reinvest in it and try to see if I could make it through that, and so we sold out, and uh, basically it took a couple of years off, and, um, you know, it was a really good time in my life. I, was, I followed my daughter around playing sports, and 
spent a lot of time with my family and then um, was doing pretty good. I, f- I felt really good about where I was in life. And then ESPN called me. They just won the contract for the starting in 2007 and uh, wanted to know if I was interested in, in being an analyst for ESPN. And I'm like, wow, never thought about that, but it seems like a great opportunity. And I just, you know, finally I decided I was going to do it. So I, I, I did that for like eight years with ESPN. Another say Andy Petrie story. Okay. Yeah. I mean, at Bristol Motor Speedway, and it, this is a compliment to Andy. I mean, it's it's an impactful part of my life uh, that a person made a comment to me. Andy has sold his race team. He's got rid of it, right? Yeah. And I th- I'm not sure if he was working for ESPN yet or getting ready to. And I I, I asked, think this was between that. I think okay. it was a couple so the, years I was retired. And, and this was just a simple question. I mean, I didn't know what the, I didn't I didn't really know Andy all that well. We I knew him enough that whatever. I go. So what are you going to do now, Andy? Like, you know, what are you gonna, you're not working now. And right. he looks me square in the eye, just as nice as can be. He goes, what do you mean? I says, what are you going to do for a job? <laughs> now, I think and, you said, what are you going to do for a living? Yeah. Okay. Well, How are you going to make a living? Yeah, so, something like that. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I hit my head a few times, you know, right, <laughs> right front tower. But, but we know we both have shared this story because it was so – it meant so much to me. It was a statement that I'll remember to the – Till the day I go, you know, he goes, uh, I s- okay, wh- what are you going to do for a living? He says, I-, I don't need to make a living. I've done made a living. He says, I've, I've already st- done that. Yeah. <laughs> T- tell him the story, Andy, because you know it better. Yeah, I mean, I, I had, like I said, I had been, you know, pretty, you know, smart with my money over all the years and had success. Like we talked about a lot of that stuff. And, and so I was always putting hay in the barn. And, and then, like I said, whenever it came time to, you know, that may have to reinvest it to keep that, you know, ownership thing alive. I decided I wasn't going to do it. So I basically just sold everything and I was pretty comfortable and I could live the life I wanted to live. And I didn't have to worry about, you know, what the, you know, paying the mortgage or anything like that, because I'd already, you know, I kind of lived, you know, I didn't have debt. I'd paid everything off and um, it's just in a good place. And yeah. I tried to explain Which it. Which is pretty cool. You know? Right. Yeah. I mean, if you could achieve that. Especially before you're 60 years old or whatever, you know. He, he, he said it in such a way that it was so impactful. It's mm-hmm. like, save your money, you know. Yeah. You, you don't have yeah, to be yeah. old before you retire, you yeah. know, is why I took it. Yeah. So I, I, I tried to follow his lead. Well, Thank well, you, Andy. I hope, I hope it made a difference. <laughs> it did. I, I've told you this story like three or four times now, right? That we well, this, yeah. is, this is the only gig that both of us have, and we are a nonprofit organization. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, he must have listened. <laughs> so, so because we're going to run out of time, there's so much stuff I want to cover. So, ESPN comes calling. You respond to them. You become an analyst. What do you think about that that analyst year, broadcast years? It was awesome. I tell you, I love working for ESPN. I worked with some great people. You know, your brother Rusty was the first one I was in the booth with. You know, Dr. Jerry Punch. I mean, Dale Jarrett later. I mean, it was just Alan Bessie. It was such a good time. And, and you know, up in the booth, I, I explained this to people, it was so stress-free. You know, we went, I got to go to every race, and we never lost a race. <laughs> you know, you don't lose. And yeah, losing is what's tough in this sport. You lose a lot if you're right, if you're doing it competitively. But up there, you don't lose any, and it's uh, you leave every race with a smile on your face. And it was fun. I, it was a sad day when we lost the contract, and uh, and I was not able to be a you know a lead analyst in the booth uh, for for a major broadcast. But lucky enough that Fox uh, kind of picked me up, and I do you know a little work for them the next year as a rules analyst, and then. Uh, I still work for them doing the the race up show kind of once a week during the season. Do you find did did you take to that to the booth the broadcast booth naturally or was there a no. lot of training that went into that? No, I, it was not. It wasn't second nature at all for me. And and I got to give Jerry Punch a lot of credit. He'd been doing this for, for a long time, and uh, he kind of took me under his wing. And you know, er, after every broadcast, he would give me some advice. He'd call me every you know every week and. And give me constructive criticism, which I welcomed. Right? It's sometimes hard to hear, but you you, you listen, you take it, and he made me a lot better. And um, so I, I had to work at it, but it was a lot of fun, man. I tell you, I, I really was sad when we lost that deal. That was a good team too. Jerry Punch was very good at what he mm-hmm. did. Alan Bestwick is one of the best too. He yes. is. Yes, he is definitely one of the best. So, so, if I can ask you, Andy, and this doesn't really involve you, but you just made a comment that you won every race. 
And well, so, we didn't lose. I said we didn't lose the race. I didn't say we won, okay, but I said well, we didn't lose. <laughs> so I'm, I'm leading yeah. to a kind of a question yeah. of drivers that are retiring that are getting opportunities to be an analyst. You know, they they all use the phrase, oh, I'm tired of traveling. I want to spend time at home. Well, as a TV guy, you're on the road just as much as you were as a driver, right? You're, 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 oh, yeah. You're you're don't, that that restaurant. part doesn't change. As a matter of fact, some of these drivers realize it's not as easy as it looks. I yeah. mean, Jeff Gordon did it for a few few years but it's a it's a lot of work i mean you put it put a lot of effort in it but the stress wasn't there the, the competitive you know that competitive stress that you, you've lived at your whole yep. driving yeah, career so you're answering what i'm asking yeah. right there it's just not you know it's just stress-free and it's okay. so so much more fun and it, and it makes it where you can travel every week and enjoy it and okay. uh, so that's what we did yeah so uh, as these television opportunities are, are we'll call it coming to an end a little bit out of the clear blue, uh, the, at least I, it was a clear blue to me, and you tell me if there's a gap somewhere in there, all of a sudden I hear Andy Petrie's at Richard Childress Racing. Right. Because he clearly doesn't <laughs> yeah. need to work for a living. Yeah, so he doesn't okay, save the money, man. He's done got <laughs> so here's the deal. So here's what happens. It is going good, right? My my daughter now is in college. We're empty nesters. I'm trying to, I'm rebuilding helicopters and, you know, trying to and make a little money selling them and it's a lot of work, and I'm not making anything doing it right. I'm just doing it to, and so finally I'm realizing that I don't really want to work that hard uh, to to do this helicopter gig, and and it getting bored really. And so so what happens is I had a helicopter, a, a turbine Robinson helicopter, and I knew Richard had all, had over years had looked at and wanted to buy a helicopter. I said, hey, I got one. I want you to look at anyway. And uh, he said, okay. He said, come down to the winery, and I'll at least look at it. And so. We made it a lunch appointment, and I landed over there at his, at his winery and took him around, rode in it for a minute, and then we just had lunch. And as we had lunch, he he was struggling with some of the things with his team and, and needed somebody to come in there to try to help with it, right? So we just started talking about it, and I realized I was a little bit bored and maybe wanting another challenge. And um, so he we decided to give it a shot. And uh, so we we did that, and now, what is it, six years later? I'm still doing it, so I, and I enjoy it. I really do enjoy the competitive side of this. What is it that you like? First of all, let me get to a – we can't ask you this question because you grew up right here in Denver. We always ask – we're normally talking to people that are driving from somewhere, you know, like Michigan or something like that. What's, mm -hmm. what's your first car you ever drove down here? Well, I need you to share with Jeff and the world – What's your daily driver to work is? <laughs> Currently. It's a, it's Current. A, it's a helicopter. I flew it this morning. Yeah. <laughs> now, how, <laughs> you, we, how many times have you sat in Charlotte traffic and thought to yourself, damn, if I had a helicopter, I, would oh, have, yeah. I wouldn't have to do this every afternoon. <laughs> I look down there and I see all those guys. <laughs> now, you, I'm going to tell you, you can classify as a, a badass. When you get in your helicopter, you fly to work and you fly home and land in your front yard. You know, I mean, it's, yep. it's yeah. nothing better than that. Which is pretty cool. It is. I, like I said, I've been so blessed in my life, you know, and that was another, we didn't talk about the aviation side. That's a passion of mine. And I kind of embraced it as I was doing the TV work and, uh, and got my rating. And then, you know, it's just gone from there. And then it just works so well for this job. I probably wouldn't be working here and driving an hour, 20 minutes. That's about what it takes to drive it. I can fly it in about 20 minutes. And, um, you know, that gives me a life at home too. So yeah, that's so cool. Yeah, it works. That is cool. So <clears throat> set the scene for us. You got a nice helipad there in your backyard or what? How's that work? Yeah, I do have a helipad. It's on my front lawn of my, my lake house, but I don't use it as often as I do. I've got a building, not, not about a block from there that I've, I land and put it inside. So okay, gotcha. So, do you, so yeah. you do have a commute from the helipad to the house. Oh yeah, it's, it's about <laughs> the golf cart. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, Jeff. When I grow up, I swear to God, I want to be Andy Petrie, you know, <laughs> just like him. That sounds pretty cool. Oh, yeah. uh, that's a compliment. Thanks. Yeah. So as we're uh, we're running out of time, but we still got to kind of. So how is everything at Richard Childress Racing going? How, well, I heard you got a new you know, promotion. We've read you got a, a big title. Yeah. So what's all that mean? Well, it's uh, you know it's not a big change for me. I mean, we're, we're kind of moving some people into the competition uh, department here. We moved Justin Alexander up to be competition director, and then I'm kind of moving up into the executive vice president role. Um, still have a very big involvement in the company and the team, but um, it is changing slightly. To kind of set, you know, Richard Childress up for and RCR up for success and for many years to come, you know. So that's kind of where we're at with that. Um, I, I super enjoy it. You know, we 
you know, we've won a lot of races. Uh, we won three last year with Kyle. Not nearly enough. You never win enough, right? But um, it's been fun building it back and trying to get, you know, get this team back in a, you know, in the mode of being a powerhouse in the sport. And uh, I hope if we've made some of the right moves, maybe next year we can uh, we can up the game some more and make make a move towards that. So totally different person, different comparison, same branded race team, RCR, Dale Earnhardt. And yeah. now you're racing with Kyle Busch. Yeah. Any comparisons between those two guys and the way they operate? Yeah, I say, I say, not so much on a personal level, but yes, they are as far as their, you know, their talent, what they bring to the team and the company. Um, you know, both are icons of the sport. You can say, you know, arguably Dale Earnhardt might be the greatest driver that's ever driven. Kyle's kind of in that conversation at the same time, right? So th- that's comparable. Um, both very demanding, you know, they, they want the best and they're not going to settle for anything less. Um, but, uh, yeah, there, there's a lot of similarities in that. And I've really enjoyed working with Kyle. I didn't really know him well until we started working together and, um, and I've enjoyed it. I, I've, the relationship has been great. Um, you know, like I said, we, we've been up and down on our performance some, but, uh, we're, we're trying to get that more consistently, you know, at the top. Well, and, I recommend uh, that you two bond a little in the offseason. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> I think what I need to do is I need to force Randall. I think they've already done it, though. Randall and, and Kyle have already bonded. They don't. They don't need me to help. Them Andy, Andy, you'll love this story, and I'm going to end it because we're going to. I'm going to make it quick. Randall Burnett raced go karts against my wife Carla back in St. Louis, Missouri. <laughs> no kidding. When oh, that's was awesome. A, when he was a little kid, his dad. Yeah, that's right. He is from St. Louis. Yep, he was from St. Louis, and his brother Jeremy owns Millbridge mm-hmm. now. So they both ended yep. up down here. They rented a house from my wife and I when they moved down here. How about that? And all these years later, this little kid that was a little badass in go karts. <laughs> so Car- Carla cool. beat him, right? She did. <laughs> but, uh, oh, that's awesome! I can't wait to go see. I'm gonna go to his office here in a minute. Yeah, but, but <laughs> and, and, what you got to tell him though, because we we, were, we he was on our show and we were kidding him. Mm-hmm. See, I knew him when he was Randy Burnett. Yeah, yeah they still call him Randy. A lot of people. So, around so here everybody's call him like, Randy. he gave yeah. us the reason of Randall when he was over Joe Gibbs or something right. like that, right? Yeah. And it's like, no, you're still Randy. That's a little kid, but uh, <laughs> yeah. No, he does a great job, man. Him, him and Kyle are, are they, like I said, I think they have a great relationship, and um, looking forward to another good season. Well, Andy, I just want to thank you for, from a friend to a friend. Thank you for taking the time, coming and joining us. Your your story is intriguing. You have, whether you realize it or not, you've booked yourself on at least two more podcasts. <laughs> I mean, that's not what I was trying to do, but hey, maybe if we can fit them in. We'll, we'll fit them it. in, you know, because. Okay. Okay. And you just keep winning, Andy. You just keep winning. Okay, we'll see if we can do that. Maybe we can talk about that. Too. <laughs> Perfect. All right, there goes Andy Petrie. You've been listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network, powered by My Race Pass and NASCAR Digital Media.